Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I am your host, Michael Columbus, with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And we've got a treat for you today. Hang on to your seats. We are with Jonathan Spaker at Fee Brothers and just wicked. You know, they're a Rochester family-owned business. If I remember correctly, and I apologize, I think you're fifth generation now. Yeah. And just goes way back and lots of incredible history. So we're uh, really excited. Welcome. Thank, thanks, Michael. And uh, I know your show has been uh, taken off well, like uh, wildfire. So I'm very flattered to be here. Thank you. We're, uh, we're, we're humbled by uh, the reach that, that this has had over the last two years. Um, you know, as, as a lot of us have said, you know, lots of bad things came out of COVID, but just some really good things too. This wouldn't, wouldn't be here if it wasn't for COVID. So I'm pretty cool. excited. Congrats about it. on your success. Thanks. Um, so we have a, you know, kind of a way that we kick the show off. Um, everybody seems to make their journey into the family business a little differently. Um, so, you know, one, introduce yourself, give us some background, tell us, you know, your story. How did you get to where you are today? And, um, you know, what do you see in the future of, you know, the, the company? And then we'll, we'll dive into history and all those things. But let's start off with introduce yourself, sure. if you don't mind. Sure. Thanks. Um, so uh, when I when I went off to college, I thought I wanted to be an astrophysicist. And uh, so I, I got accepted to Penn State for astrophysics. And then after I got there, realized that I needed to be with people more sociable. Um, so no offense to the astrophysicists who are listening. And uh, so I switched my major to business and ended up uh, graduating with a degree in insurance, which I then proceeded to, to chase a wonderful career in insurance for 24 years and only uh, retired from that career uh, about a year ago. Um, I never expected to get into the family business. Uh, although I was always around it, my grandparents uh, for my whole life lived upstairs from the factory. And so every time we came to visit grandma and grandpa, all the adults would have uh, coffee and cake upstairs and all the uh, grandkids, cousins would be uh, playing hide and go seek in the factory. So we got to know it pretty well. But, um, you know, I always had an interest in it. And I was very close with my aunt and uncle, my uh, it's the sister and brother of my mother. Um, and spent a lot of time with them and talked about the business a great deal, as did my brother, who's um, my business partner now. And um, through all of that, always had an interest in it, but very much loved my aunt and uncle as my aunt and uncle and was not looking to necessarily have them or they have me either uh, as a business partner. So we all maintained our individual careers. Um, 
And one day, as my uncle was not doing so well in the hospital, um, my aunt called and said, hey, um, things aren't going so well for Joe. And would you consider helping me through the business side of this uh, if we should lose him? Of course. And um, unfortunately, we did lose Joe. And I always say I'd rather have an uncle than a business, but um, here we are. So um, as, as um, we knew that we were going to lose him, I came into Fee Brothers and started working with my aunt, um, Aunt Ellen Fee, on um, you know how what do we need to just keep moving forward from a business perspective she handled all the manufacturing and ingredients and um, all things like that and we started digging into it and one day maybe three weeks into this uh, we were sitting down with the accountant for fee brothers and he said i don't understand why the fifth generation isn't coming into the business and she said well because they're not interested and in that moment, I said, well, wait a second. We weren't interested because you and Joe were running with this and you were doing so well. And um, it's not something that we ever thought that we ourselves would get into because you guys had it. But Joe isn't here anymore. And you're talking about someday retiring. If you want to talk about that now, um, we will talk about it with you. And she said, oh, okay, well, that's a new story. So, um, you know, fast forward, uh, we brought, um, actually, well, I'll, I'll share this because it speaks to the family part of the business. She said, would it be just you or would you bring somebody else from the family into the business? And I said, well, I'd bring somebody else in. I'd bring Ben in, my brother. Um, I'm very 40,000 foot Mach 5 view kind of guy. And Ben is very process oriented. So between the two of us, we attend to a great many things. Uh, my, my weaknesses are his strengths. And um, so she said, okay. And she said, now, are you going to bring him into as an employee or as a business partner? And I said, as a partner. And she goes, right answer. Okay, we can talk. And so that's how this all came wow. to be. And um, from there, Ben and I came in and said, we would be interested in um, the transition of the business from, from you and our uncle's estate to us, we are going to need some room to update some things. And, um, she said, okay. And we updated them and, uh, it was, uh, 15 months ago now, um, took, took over, uh, as the fifth generation stewards of fee brothers. I love that word. It's my favorite word. It's not your business. It is the not. employees. It's the customers. We are just stewards of all this knowledge and, you know, and things. So I, I love that you said that. Um, give me a just for, just, for, there's a lot going through my head right now because there's so sure. many pieces and places to go. And I may not go through my, my agenda exactly as said, how old are your aunt and uncle when this is, you know, happening? So um, my aunt is turning 65 this year. Okay. So she was 60, 63 when this was all happening. And she already, <coughs> excuse me, she already had um, the prospect of retirement on the horizon. 
Um, but didn't really have know. a business continuity plan in place? Had they thought of something? Okay. No, and, and part of that was because um, my grandfather, their father lived to be well into his 90s um, and God rest his soul, didn't necessarily release his iron grip on the business until much later in life. So now you have, um, you know, Aunt Ellen and Uncle Joe, brother and sister, um, who have learned everything um, about the business internally from oh. their father, who was from Kodak and was thrust into the business when his father unexpectedly passed away. Wow. And so he designed so many of the different systems and procedures and things that happen here out of necessity okay. and then taught it to the fourth generation. And the fourth generation, as they went through the years, of course, learned other things as well that they would like to implement and bring the business up to you know their generation but because he held on for so long um it did not allow them to make all the decisions that they wanted to make until um all the shares had passed to them which was before he passed away but it was it was later in life than i think most people are accustomed to yeah um i'm gonna i'll come back to that but just kind of think about it in your head you know, how did that transition work? And, you know, it, it sounded like there were some things over the time. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Sure. Um, your brother, Ben, what was his background before this? Yeah, Ben uh, went to Oswego and graduated uh, with a degree in technology, intended to be um, a tech teacher, a, an educator. Okay. Um, he found out that he liked the tech piece a little bit more than the education piece of it. And so he got into IT and IT security and worked for a local um, company that was growing very quickly. Um, and then when you know, he was doing very well there, but like me, we both had careers that we loved. We had never thought of entering the family business because Joe and Alan have it. Um, right. It was only when Joe passed away and I, you know, took him out to dinner one night and I said, hey, listen, I just had this conversation with Ellen and I think we're the right two people for it. And she thinks we're the right two people for it. You want to take a shot with me? And thank God he said yes. That's so cool. I, lo I love the fact that you knew each other well enough to, to say this is going to be a good fit for the two of us as we're doing these things. Very lucky. Um, yeah. All right, so walk us through the business. You know, I mean, sure. five generations is gigantic. And I, you know, I say this on the show all the time. I just want to reiterate, I don't feel, I don't believe that like if, if you guys were to build this up and then sell it, that's not failing. You know what I mean? It's so many people, it's like, oh, well, it's your job to get it to the sixth generation. No, it is your job to be a steward of the business, just like you said. If that so happens to be that we find somebody internally in, within the family to continue and they want to be a steward of it, fine. But if they're not, you know, so I think it's a little bit of luck. And, but from the sounds of it, just, you know, the, a lot of luck in some cases where your grandfather stepped in when, you know, there were, you know, is 
you, you got it. So absolutely. And, and just on that, on that point, Mike, I, I think um, it's worth sharing. As we were getting into this, we trust our aunt very much. And we're lucky that she trusts us very much. And Ben and I trust each other very much. And I think part of all of that is very open communication. So before we ever agreed to do this, we had to ask a bunch of very um, open questions to Ellen, because the one thing that we don't want to do is, is gain a business, but lose an aunt. Yeah. And so one of the do things- you mind sharing we, some of those questions? Is that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think absolutely. that would be helpful for people. This, this was one of the biggest questions. Well, we asked two questions, two big questions from my perspective. One of them was less facetious than the other. And that was, um, Ellen, let's say we buy this business and five years from now, we decide that the right thing to do is sell it. What happens then with our relationship? And she said, well, I look at it like this. It means that the business lasted in our family five years longer than it would have anyway, number one, which I thought, wow, that's very gracious of you. And she said, number two, you get to be the one to disappoint our ancestors, not me. <laughs> and I thought, okay, there we go. <laughs> so no. That being said, um, Ben and I have had an absolute blast since we've gotten here. We have absolutely no intent on selling the business. And um, every day we, we show up to work and laugh a lot and kick a lot of butt and have a great time. So there's no plan on doing that. But it was a question that I am so glad that I asked before we got into the discussion of actually buying the business, because it fairly set everybody's expectation. And it was just a lot of honest communication. The other yeah. one that I asked was, um, I was doing very well for myself in my insurance career. And um, because of the luck that I had had there, um, my wife and I loved to sail. And so we had just um, decided that we were going to get another sailboat. And I said, now, Ellen, I said, before we move forward, another question, you know that Jen and I just decided to, to get this sailboat. Um, but I understand that we're undertaking a financial obligation here, and I want to understand your true opinion of us moving forward with both. And she goes, get the sailboat, you're going to need it. So um, I just thought all the way around, it was, there were a lot of open questions that were asked, and they were answered very honestly, and it led to a very good place of fair expectations. I think people are disappointed when one of two things happens. Either expectations aren't met. Um, you know, either your, your expectations aren't fair and you need to change your expectations or you need to change your reality. Um, and, and those are the two times when people aren't happy with what's happening. And so if we get into everything with a fair vision of our expectations and a fair uh, estimation of what reality is, and luckily we did, and it went very well. Yeah, it's super wise. I, so I became a part of an organization called the Purposeful Planning Institute. And what you just did was very purposeful 
questions to make sure that the fa- you know what was more important to you that the family could sit down at the Thanksgiving dinner table together than you know than to do that than than to buy the business and Absolutely. a lot of respect for that a lot of respect Thanks. for that. Um, how many employees are there? Right now we have twenty eight, but when we bought the business fifteen months ago, it was fourteen. So wow. We've more than doubled the number of employees um, by the end of this year, which will have been two years. Now, this is a, at the time we bought it, it was, it was just coming up on our 157 year anniversary. Okay. Um, From the time we bought the business until two years after we bought it, we are going to come really close to doubling the revenue. And I can't, um, I don't say that to pat ourselves on the back. Um, We just showed up and made sure that we kept taking steps forward. But the momentum that we have is thanks to our Ann Ellen, Uncle Joe, all the work that he did flying all over the world. We don't market, we don't have salespeople. Um, So this is all just organic growth from the uh, distribution network that we have and the momentum that was already built before we got here, which again, we're very lucky. Let's be honest, COVID happened, people started drinking more, so they needed your product. (laughs) You know, I would agree with that. And the cool thing is I've had a number of friends across uh, the country who have taken those master's classes. And uh, because everybody was stuck at home wanting to learn something. And a number of them have taken master's classes on mixology or making their own drinks. And I'll get pictures from them and they'll say, I'm taking a mixology master's class tonight and you'll never guess what I'm using. And they'll text me a picture of Fee Brothers this or Fee Brothers that. But the neat thing is, is that even before COVID, uh, the business was growing double digit year over year for the five years leading up to COVID. So I would love to blame it um, on COVID. I'm sure it had something to do with it. I'm just, Um, I'm just teasing, but I think, well, there's been a switch. That's a fair comment. Vodka being the top drink to, you know, whiskey is starting to come back up. And so you, you know, you, you blend better. I got to believe though. I don't know whether you would use Steve brothers in a vodka drink or not. I think there's probably like a dirty martini. You would, you know, some of the things that you create. Yeah, so um, whether it's our mixes, uh, syrups, brines, bitters, botanical waters, we'll mix with pretty much anything. But um, no, I just I wanted to say that because I think it's a very fair comment to make. And I think there are a number of businesses through COVID that have been hurt. I think there are a number of businesses through COVID that have been helped. And the frustrating part to me as a, um, a numbers guy is... I can't delineate between what part of our success is due to an aberration uh, in in the space-time continuum that that we refer to as COVID. Um, And that's frustrating. I want to isolate that and say, well, this is because of that. And this part is because of this, but I'm never going to be able to do that. So I got to let go. Yeah. They just enjoy the ride. And as long as the numbers and the orders keep coming in, it's it's a-okay. Amen. We had um, a, a couple episodes ago, Lodge Cast Iron was on. And, and that was fun because they're another, you know, multi-generation business and just a product that everybody would know, you know. And, and mm-hmm. I was it was like laughing because 
I started using a lodge cast iron years ago, but I never really used it. And then I, I, I Googled how to, you know, clean the pan and take care of it and do that stuff. And then it became like this cultish thing. Like I would, I would get all excited about it and teach people how to, you know, to season the pan and do all those things. I think, you know, with the making of a drink, it's a lot of the same thing. You know, my, my brother-in-law is a mixologist, um, works for uh, Moet Hennessy. Yes, um, yes. And uh, he, he, I'll have to talk to him next time about what's happening in the LA market when it comes to bitters and all the thing, you know, the fee, if he's familiar with fee brothers, um, I'm sure he is. And, sure. uh, um, but I'll, I'll tell him to, you know, just tell them that, it, you know, Moet Hennessy just, it mixes better with, you know, with Fee Brothers and other bitters out, that are out there. Well, uh, thank you. It's, it's the, it's the mixologists out there. It's the bartenders out there that are the important people in, in this chain of how things work. Um, they're customers, individual customers, not our, our distributors who we call our customers. Um, but there are individual customers out there who will call us up or email us and say, I need a recipe for this. Yeah. And our answer is always the same. Listen, we think we're great at making products, but we're not going to tell you that we're the best at what to do with them. It's, it's all the mixologists and the bartenders out there that are attending to their craft that just use us as a tool. They're the ones that make us shine. And we're fortunate to have uh, a good crowd. Love it. Um, let's talk about the history real quick. Um, so 18, go back. Uh, 1864. 1864. <laughs> 1864, James Fee opens up a, a sandwich shop uh, with his mother and, and his mother, uh, she and her husband had come over from Ireland by way of Montreal down to Rochester. Okay. And so James Fee is the oldest of four uh, Fee brothers and one Fee sister. And um, he and his mother open up a sandwich shop, which then turns into, uh, over time, a winery and distillery making whiskey and wine. Okay. And um, that went very well for quite some time um, and was then passed down to uh, one of James's nephews, by way of his brother, um, who would be my great-grandfather. And so my great-grandfather and great-grandmother are now running Fee Brothers, <clears throat> and Prohibition comes along. So the whiskey stops, but the wine continues for two reasons. One, uh, churches were buying up more and more wine. And I can't imagine that the priests were the one who were drinking all of them. The records that we show, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but the records that we show were that wine sales to churches went through the roof during Prohibition. The wow. other thing, yeah. That's a neat thing, little history piece. The other thing that happened was it was legal to make wine in your home up to 200 gallons a year, which is still uh, the rule today. And but nobody knew how to do it. So Fee Brothers would go to people's homes and we still have the log book of who we serviced in Rochester. And uh, they would go into people's homes and they would make wine and then they'd leave and then they'd come back and they'd rack it and bottle it. 
and cork it, and then they'd leave. And that was legal because it was being done in your home for your own personal consumption. <coughs> Excuse me. The other thing that was happening was um, we had a bottle of malted liquid called Bruin. It had a picture of a bear on it, and it said, it's a bear, meaning it's a beer. And on the back, it said, do not add this much yeast to it or else this will turn into an illegal substance. So, of course, you can only imagine what everybody was doing with it. And at the same time, um, people were coming to my great grandfather saying, I've got this awful tasting uh, bathtub, whatever that I made. What do I do? How do I make this taste better? And he'd say, well, put a little bit of this in it and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. And of course, these are all stories passed down through the generations. And um, over time, what came to him was the idea of why am I giving them all these different little things? Why don't I mix this up and sell them a drink mix? And that is the basis of what Fee Brothers has become. Um, now, my great-grandfather unexpectedly passed away. Uh, my grandfather, back from the war, he was over in the Pacific. Um, he was a, uh, a chemist at Kodak. Okay. And so his mom, uh, my great-grandmother, starts taking over the business and seeing what she can do to keep things moving forward. And he starts working in the factory at nights, except my great-grandfather had written everything in such um, undecipherable code that nobody knew how to make the products. Gosh. And my grandfather, being a chemist, said, hey, I'll figure this out. Well, he only figured out five of the 30 products that were being made at the time. And so he had all these ingredients. And he had all these finished products that he knew they eventually created. And so he started recreating um, the, the breadth of products that has led to what we are today. And then my Aunt Ellen took over and created the other half of them that we have today. But there was a time there where, you know, uh, it was a, a very tenuous situation and um, not everybody imagine. knew uh, that it was going to survive. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when you go out to your website, you know, it's, we think of Feed Brothers, I do at least, and you, you think of the bitters. Um, but then, you know, you start looking on here, it's botanical waters and brines, like you said, which I didn't even know, you know, there's, um, th there's a bar in Rochester that does a cheeseburger shot. And I would okay. think that those, that, that dill pickle brine is perfect for it cordial mixes, cocktail mixes, syrups, coffee flavored cordials. And you know, that's a lot. And so what you're saying is out of all these different products that were made through the years, there was only a handful of the recipes that they were able to do. And so that your, your grandfather went through and then your aunt deciphered it all and yep. figured it out. Well, they, they re, they really re, um, recreated products so he was able okay. he was able to to figure out five of the original products and then everything else that we have they kind of made up as they went and you know we we did a lot of listening over the years to what the industry wanted um okay. from a drink manufacturer unbelievable that's a pretty cool story you know i mean because like you said it could have gone south 
if you didn't, you know, if somebody wasn't able to figure that stuff out, I think it's, you have to have enough product in enough different arenas, because especially when you're dealing with the alcohol market, you know, this, you know, vodka's in today. Well, great. What goes well with that? Well, okay, great. Now tequila's coming around. Great. Well, we'll have more margarita mix, but you know, you, it probably changes over time. It, it does. And um, bitters were not our big seller not not too long ago. I mean, uh, you know, 20 years ago, bitters was not the big seller. Um, I think 1984, prior to Ben and I taking over the business, 1984 was our largest production year ever. And a lot of that was, um, you know, everything from whiskey sour mix to pina colada to daiquiri, margarita. And we still have those products. Sure. But this was um, by gallonage because people bought a lot of it. So by gallonage, that was our biggest year ever until 2021, um, which overtook that gallonage. And now we're going from selling quarts and gallon sized bottles of daiquiri and pina colada mix to five ounce bottles of bitter and yet still exceeding uh, what the volume was. And we're very fortunate in that way. I, I need to say, um, because... We don't have any one distributor that is a majority share of where our business goes. We're very fortunate that um, we've got a number of different products. So as mixes might wane a little bit, uh, bitters are doing well. Our fee foam is taking off up 6,900% in the last four years. I've never seen anything like this in any business case study I've ever done. Um, uh, you know, our international sales are growing. So if, if the floor falls out from under us in one area or with one product, we're okay because we're yeah. insulated from that having an adverse effect across the entire company. Great. Um, so I, I think that's a pretty darn big obstacle that you guys were able able to overcome. And it also sounds like from, you know, you've hinted towards some of these transitions didn't, it wasn't like they were planned. Hey, we're going to, you know, do the succession plan. We're going to start five years early, get everybody in lined up for this stuff. They just kind of happened along the way. Yeah, um, it, so it really did. Now, going from my grandfather to my aunt and uncle, uh, my aunt and uncle put in a tremendous amount of sweat equity. They probably bought this company four times over with their sweat equity. But um, outside of that, there, it wasn't always a smooth planned transition. Okay. Um, to, to, to anything else in the family or the business history that other family businesses might benefit from, from hearing? I um, we're very fortunate that we have a tremendous amount of trust in our uh, uh, in our family. Um, yeah. We, even if we disagree with each other, which we do, um, we still have a tremendous amount of trust, and um, there's a lot of communication um, because we we all talk to each other. So, you know, here Ben and I are now partners in owning Fee Brothers. Uh, yeah, I'll say that we've hired our mother to come in and help roll labels on bitters. She, she comes in part-time a, a few hours a week. Uh, Ellen okay. is still uh, on call. 
she's still on retainer uh, for a little while in case uh, we joke with her. We call her up and we say, hey, we, we can't find the O-rings. And, um, but um, outside of that, there's nobody in the family currently who is part of the business, but they all still have a vested interest in it because it's it's all part of their their namesake. Um, yeah. And so and and this is where a lot of them grew up. Uh, the generation previous to me, this was their home. So we're when we come to work, we're not just coming to work. We're we're also coming to the family house. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's a lot of communication and there's a lot of trust. It's interesting that you talk about that. So you know, I, I mentioned before that you know the Lodge family had come on, Jay and Lisa Daniels, and one of the things that they did is they had a lot of people, family members that had ownership, but no involvement. Mm. Like five people were at the company, over fifty family members own the company. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, I can I talk about that because it's on the podcast. Um, but what's you know one of the things that they needed to do was start connecting people with the business so that there wasn't you know the the business could still run doing it's what it's supposed to be doing. I, I bring it up because I think in your position, how many family members? How big is the is the family overall when you look across? I mean, 20, 30 family members. I, I don't know. Oh well. Uh, Your extended family today. I'd I'd have to add it all up, but uh, let's say we've got um, seven, uh, six aunts and uncles, um, and we've got you know a number of cousins at at my in my generation. Uh, There's only two owners of the business, and it's Ben and myself. Um, If we were a bigger business maybe there would be more pie to cut. No, well, all I was going to say is to your point, one of the things that I have found, and I'm just sharing this so that people can capture this. What you said is there's a vested interest because their name, because they grew up there, because they put that together. And so I highly recommend that families one time a year, at least, you know, share with family members. We don't need to go into detail. They don't have any voting rights or anything like that, but just uh, here's what's happening in the business so that you know, because I know if somebody asks you about, hey, how's Fee Brothers doing? They get asked. And so, so it's just- yeah, yeah, despite, I, I see what you're saying, despite there being no ownership interest or people not being employed here, there's a tremendous amount of um, pride in pride. the family business and that there's yeah. a, a tie to Fee Brothers. Um, and, and so, you know, like I said, there's a lot of trust and a lot of communication with everybody, whether they have any interest, um, legal interest in fee brothers or not. Um, and, uh, and we respect that and, and we appreciate it because we view it as support. hundred percent. So yeah, and yeah, yeah, can, and different families do it different ways. One does a, a family meeting, you know, they get, they get a one weekend, the whole family gets together. And in the morning, they talk about the business and they teach the next generation, whether they're, you know, they're, they could be kids just so that everybody knows because their great grandparents started this thing in that town, everybody knows their name. And, and so, yeah, you know, they just try to do that. Um, I love it. Yeah. So I just an idea for you. Um, what is tough about being in a family business 
you know, for you? Well, um, I'm very, like I said, I'm very fortunate to have the family that I have because I could see how quickly things could go sideways. Um, I think there's a constant, um, I'm, I'm always cognizant of how do we advance the business while um, being true to the good things that got us here. Yeah. And there's, there's a spectrum to that. And, and if we um, stayed with how things always had been and never grew or learned or allowed outside thought to enter our minds, we'd have a beautiful echo chamber and we'd die. And if we started running through the minefield of advancing as quickly as we possibly could without giving any consideration to what brought us here, we die. And so there's, there's, a, um, there's a balance and I've tread very carefully um, trying to learn as much as I can before making a decision, but not being frozen and unable to make a decision either. And you're going to mess it up. Right. There's, there's no way to do that 100% right 100% of the time. Um, you're going to mess something up. Hopefully it's not a big thing. Uh, and and of, you, just keep, you just keep taking, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and trying to be as thoughtful as possible. Um, thoughtful to the history, thoughtful to the things that got you here. Um, certainly thoughtful to the employees because they're the ones that are doing the work. They're, they're the ones who are actually getting the job done. I'm just here to, to, to help paint a picture of what the future could look like and hopefully uh, assemble their talents in a way that help us get there. Um, and, and, you know, pay attention to the good things that did get us here. Even if some of them over time, just like at one point in time, we're making wine and whiskey and we no longer are, um, right. you have to reinvent yourself. And I think that's the one thing that keeps me up um, at night, if there were anything, is, um, how do we, what is the next thing that we have to do to reinvent ourselves? Right now, things are going great. Sales are through the roof, um, but I don't want to be fooled into thinking that that means forever. Right. So no, smart, um, very smart. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people, as I've gone through speaking with other family businesses, they say, you know, I, I don't have an MBA, but I definitely earned one. And it's mostly came from the mistakes that I made <laughs> along the way, or thinking that I had it all figured out and realizing that I wasn't even close. And then we pivoted and we, and we, and we're still here. And that's, you know, it's how you do it. So I used to, um, when I, when I first got into my insurance career, I, I think I was a, a bit of a punk. Uh, if something went my way, I I wouldn't shy away from taking full credit for it. And um, you know, over over the years, you you get smacked around a little bit and start to understand things don't necessarily work that way. And I'm very grateful that I got smacked around a bit before coming to Fee Brothers. 
um, because I would not have want to have learned those lessons here. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, one of my most favorite sayings is, um, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. And uh, so I, I'm very fortunate. And, you know, Joe and Ellen didn't have that opportunity. They really came here right out of the gate and, and had to learn as they went. But Ben and I have been fortunate that we got to figure a few things out first. Great. So you've talked about basically two obstacles or you know, what keeps you up at night? What are the things? One is, you know, what is our next, what's the next, you know, gig? Where, what, what do we, what's the future look like for us? Mm-hmm. The other one is, you know, and we had talked about it in a pre-show call, but it was just the, we're growing so fast. How do we keep up with yeah. all the other, you know, things that are going on? How are you finding for, for your industry, for the things you're doing, supply chain and those issues that other people are, you know, talking about? Are you okay there? Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate with our labor. Um, we have, with what I've seen in my entire life, is the best benefits package anywhere. We, we take good care of our people. Um, so, and, and we've got great people. So I think they all like working with each other, which helps. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we're very fortunate with labor. We're very fortunate with a great many things. Um, and like you said, our demand right now is through the roof. We've never seen anything like this before. We are currently filling orders within three months. We'd like to be filling orders within a week or two. Three months is insane. Um, we're very fortunate to have... Um, distributors who understand this and change their ordering habits to fulfill what they need to keep their pipeline full. Um, Now, that being said, I finally put up uh, signs around our office. I put four of them up, one on each wall. And it says, we don't have a production problem. We have a demand problem. Because I could hear it in the voices of people as they were speaking on the phone. You could almost hear the, uh, the apology of, gee, I'm really sorry. It's going to take us three months. You know what? It's yeah, not because wish- we can't make it. It's just because right. you guys want more of this stuff than we've ever had. Our production is up 75% over the prior year. What more can we possibly do? And of course, that's going to increase as well. But when it comes to supply chain, our labor has been good. Our, um, our ingredients for the most part have been good, except for two, um, our pickle brine and our olive brine, um, be, because of all the supply chain issues, uh, got put on hold. We are reinventing those products. We hope to have them out in the next, hopefully three months. I'm very excited about that. Um, and two things have happened. One glass is a little bit harder to come by than it has, but we order so much of it um, that we are luckily one of the squeaky wheels that get attention. And two, and this is more recently uh, for us, is transportation. Um, Not only the availability of transportation, but also the cost of transportation. So if our glass is being made somewhere overseas, and there's a number of different plants that make these, you know, how do we, how do we get it here, even if they can make it? Um, and of course, the, the ideal situation would be to move to a domestic manufacturer of, of glass. Um, but so far, we have not been able to 
source anybody domestically for for what we need. Gotcha. Um, well, you and your brother talk, obviously, now you're sure. co-owners in the business. So I would imagine that you've maybe set a few goals for yourself and, and the business. Do you mind sharing? You know, what do you see for Fee Brothers right now, five or 10 years out? Yeah, um, we're, we're very fortunate that, um, and I compare this to the past, you know, the 24 years of my life that led up to this. You had to have a goal because you had to be shooting for something. Yep. And how do we grow? How do we get more profitable? How do we um, grow our distribution? There's a lot of different ways to set goals. One of the frustrations that um, I've had over the years is when we pass a finish line, let's take a minute and pat ourselves on the back. Let's not say, well, okay, great, you did this, now what's next? And of course, um, the idea of what are we gonna do that different this year? And then the next year, what are we gonna do different this year? And fooling ourselves into thinking that we're smart enough to invent 40 different ways to, to do our business. Once you understand what you're doing, there's not that many different ways to do, to do your business. And, and I think that when Ben and I came into Fee Brothers, we were incredibly lucky. We're not looking to try to climb a hill. We're already at the top of the hill. We're the number four ranked international bidders in the world. If we were number one, where would we have to go? Right. right? So we're just, we're so fortunate. The, the way that we view it is we're already at the top of the hill, but this hill is going to continue to grow. And how can we manage this business in a way that we can sleep well at night? And a lot of that has to do with taking care of two different groups of people. Number one, our employees, and number two, our customers. And if we are taking care of our employees and our customers, there's not a whole lot else that matters. It's not about hitting a particular revenue number. You have to always be profitable or else what are you doing here? Yep. But there's, there's no set growth goal um, because we're in, in such a great position. Another thing is over the, the years of my prior career, any decision that was made, you amortize out the cost of that decision over one, three, five years, maybe 10 if you're really, if you're really trying to sell it. But um, here we are we're 158 year old business. And as soon as you amortize out the cost of any decision over a hundred years, it soon becomes irrelevant. And you're blessed with the opportunity to make decisions about how do we do this right? So long as it is sustainable, not looking for a return. It has to be sustainable or else you're hurting yourself more than you're helping yourself. But you don't need to always do make decisions um, looking for that investment return in a three to five year time frame. So we've been very fortunate in all those things. No, I, I love it. I think that is a great goal and it's an admirable goal. I think, you know, 
a lot of times people would be wise to sit back and say, we don't have to continue growing for the sake of growing. What, what, if, what if we just worry about getting more profitable and sharing those profits with the people that helped us get here? And that's exactly where we are. We actually, just this year, uh, the one thing that's bothered us over the, the first year of Ben and I owning Fee Brothers was the company was growing and was doing well profitably. Um, and that wasn't being directly shared with the employees. And so for this year, we rolled out a profit sharing plan that when Fee Brothers makes a profit, depending, you know, there's a scale to it, but depending on how profitable Fee Brothers is, the employees who, who helped make that happen share in that. And, and it's allowed us to open up and have conversations about what's happening. There, there's no, we don't have to hide anything anymore because everybody's part of the benefit. Right. And um, we've very much enjoyed that and have seen, I think have seen a, a boost in morale um, since then. So uh, we've been very lucky. Nice. And, and coming from the insurance business and having a father that uh, um, is uh, in uh, that side of the, the wealth management, you know, side yep. of things. Um, very, very uh, cool that you're weaving those things in and making sure that your employees, the people that are helping you to get there are retirement ready, you know, and it's Amen. like, what, what, what can we do to make sure that you've celebrated with us? I have um, some time offline now. I'm going to get back to you. I have some celebration ideas for you that I'll share with you. I'm all here. We don't have time for that right all now, right. but I've got a couple <laughs> ideas. Um, uh, giving advice to, you know, other family, mom, other family business owners that are getting ready. And, and just because you just, you know, you just transitioned from your aunt to you, what are some of the things that advice that you would give books that you would tell people to read things that you, you know, what, what is your best advice for somebody st sitting at the bar stool, having a drink with bitters in it? <laughs> sure. Uh, first of all, don't drink too much, but uh, en enjoy what you do drink. Um, you know, there are, there are nagging questions as anybody enters anything, and it doesn't matter if it's um, a business, a relationship, uh, a new sport, what, you know, whatever it is, there, there's, um, there are nagging questions that your internal monologue is telling you you have, whether you want to listen to it or not. Um, and my advice would be to, to get them out on the table and yeah. to, to address them with the people that they need to be addressed with. And I think so often people don't do that because they don't want to offend anyone and they don't want to... Um, they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but my, my contention with that is, aren't you hurting somebody's feelings more by not bringing it up and somewhere down the line, it all coming to a fever pitch where it has to be addressed. And now it's after the fact it's a, it's reactionary instead of proactive. So, um, you know, I, I have, been accused maybe of being a little bit too blunt sometimes, but I think it's the healthiest way 
to do business. And I think it's the healthiest way to maintain good relationships. And so I, I guess that'd be my primary advice, that little question that's nagging or that little voice that's nagging and you're saying, yeah, but clear the air and get it out there. And, you know, it, we can tell each other no and still give each other a hug at the same time. Ah, I love it. This is, has been a joy. I, I'm just, oh. I love when I can, you know, talk with families that have been around for five generations. There's just so much history there and it's never the same story, never the same story. And that's what makes, you know, what I do fun. Um, and then, I, you know, I, I've had other ones where it's, they just started. She, you know, I spoke with a, another family business where she started the business herself. She's now got three or four companies going and she's brought her father and her sister and her kids all work there. And so it's just different. And so they have such a different take sure. than, than you do. And it's just fun to see all of the, the different pieces. Your advice of communicating, getting the questions out on the table is gigantic. It's, it's, it's so incredibly important. Um, a friend of mine wrote a book called Every Family's Business. Um, and Tom Dean's book, what he says is, um, he's a big fan of one, each generation buys the business from the other generation, so that you've got skin in the game. And you know, you, you're doing those things, number one. But he has a conversation once a year, he tells the current generation and the um, rising generation, we'll call that, if you're working together at the same time, um, to you do a SWOT analysis and they do a SWOT analysis and then compare. And, and, then, and then, so you can start to you know, say, do you wanna sell the business? Do you not wanna sell the business? Where are we at? Am I just an employee? And it's, it's right to your point of, especially like your situation is a little different where, it was, we came in, bought and, you know, and moved on. That was a, a totally different transition. But oftentimes go back to your aunt and uncle and to have that conversation. Am I just an employee right now? When is this transition happening? What's going on? How do we move forward? And sometimes those, you know, those frank conversations are helpful. It yeah, works. It worked for them and it, and it was fine, but I know other families where it has, you know, drove, driven a wedge in between because they're like, I'm 50 years old. I can't <laughs> wait forever to take this business over. I think uh, like depending on the, the family and depending on the personalities, there's the right fit for, for each transition and just being as um, blunt as possible to set fair expectations about what that right transition is, given those personalities, is the, the healthiest thing you can do. I would totally agree. So everybody, we've been speaking with John Spaker at Fee Brothers. It's feebrothers.com. Go and check them out. They're right in Rochester, New York. Thank you so much for your time today for sharing right, you know, your experience. Um, this has been the Family Biz Show. I'm Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy, also in Rochester, New York. Thank you for joining us. And we can't wait to have you on future episodes and listening in to the Family Biz Show. Thanks for listening to the Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. 
Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.